good to me. Live from St. Paul, we are the names you know. This is the names I know. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. Welcome back to another episode of the Names of No podcast, a post-playoff victory edition. Uh, I'm celebrating with a white claw, if you can't see. <laughs> um, uh, visited in-laws this weekend. We we did the whole sort of like long quarantine, stayed away, did tests, all that, so we could see, because we were hoping to see um, my Anna's grandfather, but unfortunately he like fell and broke his pelvis on Friday. Oh, oh no. So we didn't get to see him. Like that was the whole plan was to see him. Cause he's like 95 or 96 years old. So not sure how many chances we're going to go to visit him. Um, so yeah, so he, uh, so yeah, we ended up basically just hanging out in Anna's parents condo in Madison, not doing anything, just sitting, watching soccer and, um, and as and drinking, uh, I was, you know, having drinks, just having a lot of booze. Um, I brought down some old fashions from the Black Hearts. Um, so I need to uh, need to recover a little bit, <laughs> especially with <laughs> Thanksgiving coming up. So we have the regular crew. Uh, Dan, how's it going? Pretty damn fine. Hard to complain after a Loon's victory. And uh, I am sipping on uh, wild turkey that I infused with apples and baking spices. Ooh. So Ooh. real fancy, real fancy tonight. Wait, wait, wait. All, all, cinnamon, nutmeg, allspice, or what'd you do? Uh, cinnamon, nutmeg, cloves. Oh, two out of two. Okay. And I, you could have subbed allspice. It's just what I had on hand. All right. That con- that condescending voice you heard was MJ. MJ, how's it going? Condescending? What? <laughs> <laughs> you know how much I like food and herbs and spices? Well, that the condescending. fact that it wasn't that it wasn't allspice, I guess, was the yeah. Oh well, self-deprecating on that, I can't guess correctly. I mean, <laughs> if you've been listening to this podcast, that's nothing new. How are you doing, MJ? I'm doing well. I will, I will be countering Dan on that. Not much to complain about after a playoff victory because I have things to complain about. But you know, uh, rel- relatively good spirits. Yeah, we're gonna get to that. In a little bit here, we're going to talk about that 3 nothing victory over the Colorado Rapids. Uh, we have some United news, um, talking about some other uh, questions that we have. And then we're going to talk, because we don't have a game to preview, because the next Minnesota United match will be on either December 1st or December 2nd. Uh, we don't know the exact date yet. And we're going to have another podcast before that, so we're not going to talk about Kansas City and previewing them. But we're going to talk about what the, what the fuck just happened over the weekend in MLS, because it was possibly the most bonkers uh weekend of soccer i think i've ever watched i think I, I watched almost all of it and i could not believe how absolutely batshit crazy everything was this weekend so instead of previewing a match we're going to talk a little bit about those, some of those matches I, I feel like we all have some thoughts on a bunch of the things that happened uh over the weekend so so yeah so let's jump into it but before we do that um this is guys gonna be one of your last pitches before we're gonna get some heath out stout beer uh patreon dot com slash the days I know uh, if you want to join we have so I got an email or message from Christian today he is uh, going to be bottling it 
tomorrow, I think tomorrow evening. It takes about two weeks to um, carbonate properly. And then we're going to figure out a, a sort of a Patreon. It's going to be maybe a little harder. We might have to hold off and sit on it for a little bit, or we have to figure out some sort of I beer ferry it to you or something um, and do some socially distant, uh, socially distant drop-offs. But if you are in the Twin Cities, um, I'll, I'll be sending out an email to all the Patreon folks um, who are going to be getting this beer and sort of trying to figure out a, a, the best possible way to get it. But, you know, within the next month to six weeks, um, you could be expecting to get some of the Heath outs out if you are a member of the Patreon. So again, you can join patreon.com slash the Daves I know to help support the Daves that you know. Um, if you start at three bucks a month, you do it for two months, we're going to get you a bomber of that uh, Heath out stout beer. It's, it looks really great. It smells really great. Christian is, Christian has said that he thinks this is the best beer that Hop Clouds that he has ever, ever brewed, which is saying a lot because cool. he's brewed some really good beers. Right, guys? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, coffee cream ale that he made earlier this year is legitimately one of the better beers I've ever had. Uh, so the fact that this yeah. could be better than that is seriously impressive. The Belgian double that he that he he gave let me taste was amazing, and he was like, "That was the best beer I ever I ever made." And that was he said that about a few weeks ago when I, last I saw him. And when he messaged me today, he's like, "I think this might be the best beer I've ever made." So get in on it if you're not already. It's it's a it's fantastic, and if you are. If you're out, out of state, an out of state person, um, we're happy to set a set, uh, beer aside for you if you are a member of the Patreon. And we next time you get to, mini, to Minnesota, Christian has sort of a beer cellar that he can keep beers stored, um, put your name on it, whatever. So even if you're not in the cities, uh, don't hesitate to, to sign up. Um, if you want to donate that beer to somebody, I, I know three podcast hosts who uh, would enjoy uh, <laughs> drinking more of that beer. <laughs> But anyways, it's uh, definitely if you if you if you want to get that beer and you're not in the cities, but you're gonna be here eventually at some point in the next you know year or so. Apparently, this one can can stay um, cellared for quite a while. So don't hesitate and just let me know when I when I send out that email. Um, just say hey, I'm not in the cities, but I definitely want to pick one up, or I'm not in the state, I would definitely want to pick one up whenever I get a you know get in or whatever. We can we can make sure we get make that work. So so that's what I want to say there on the Patreon again, Patreon dot com slash the days i know to help support the days that you know uh all right so let's talk about this match that just happened colorado rapids came to town for a playoff match and they left town thinking that they were the better team but with a three nothing loss to their to their to their ledger so <laughs> do we have any overall arching thoughts on the game before we jump into the sort of the the play-by-play my overarching thought that we won't get to later is just how well Marlon Harrison has kind of developed into his central central midfielder role. He came in billed as a right wing slash right back, play anywhere on the right side to provide depth along the right side. And I could go down a laundry list of Keith playing players out of position, starting with Vadim Demidov, defensive midfielder, trying to shoehorn him in at center back. No one wants to hear about that, but Marlon Harrison looked really good on both sides of the ball. Yeah, totally agree with that. And I think part of the unheralded story of last night's game was how many of the guys just stepped up in huge ways. Harrison was excellent. I think we saw the best two-way effort from Grey Goosh, maybe since he came to the team. Uh, Dotson slotting in at right back played one of his best games ever at right back and he was defensively extremely composed in a way that we've been critical of before where he was kind of forgetting defensive responsibilities going forward. Uh, I don't want to 
harp on this too much because I'm sure we'll talk about it, but this was, for my money, the most comprehensive Loons game we've seen. I think we saw flashes of good and more good than bad from all 11 outfield players, and the games where we can say that are pretty damn few and far between. Yeah. I'll just echo that by saying that in spite of, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit in the extra time segment, um, a few, like, you know, basically the first 10 to 15 minutes of the first half and the second half, the Loons looked like they were being outplayed, and I think they were being outplayed. But comprehensively, I think everybody stepped up, right? So I think there was whatever whatever clicked in saying, oh, shit, you know, we need to, we need to figure this shit out because we're, you know, we're getting outplayed. Um, they did it. And which is not just, you know, again, it, it, that's, that's the way good teams are. Good teams like come out maybe a little bit flat and they realize that they're playing flat and they figure it out and they put their, and they get their shit together. That's not something that we normally see from a team like that we've seen from Minnesota United teams, even in the past, even in the last two years, like sometimes like it looks like when they've come out flat, they've just gotten steamrolled. And this time they came out flat in both the first half and the second half and did not get steamrolled. Right. They, they held in and, and they got the goals and they, and they've turned the, turned the game around. So let's talk about it. Um, so Minnesota started in the four, two, three, one that Heath loves to play in with uh, Dotson, as MJ mentioned, uh, as a right fullback, Kirsten in the middle with Grey Goose on uh, the Finley Reynoso Molino um, lewd up top. So I don't know. I, Consider that maybe more of like a four-two-four uh, or a four-three-three. Even if you look at some of the heat maps, Finley kind of dropped uh, dropped back a little bit more with um, Reynoso, um, Lude, and and Molino really alternating and switching switching spots all the time. Um, so yeah, and then again, as I mentioned, Colorado came out and and really dominated the first 15, 20 minutes of this game. Um, and but for a you know. It had some opportunities against Dane St. Clair. Dane stepped up and, and made some good plays. The defense stepped up and, and did some clearances. They had a couple times where they just they just really were wide open in front of that and just shanked balls. But in the 22nd minute, Minnesota United gets a a, a garbage goal amongst garbage goals. But you know what? They all count. Um, Kevin Molino scores uh, after uh, Reynoso just does some amazing dribbling. Um, turns, gets basically... Uh, body you know body checked by abubakar but lays the ball off and molino just happens to be right there and he beats uh yarborough for for the first goal of the game i think reynoso i think if if minnesota doesn't score reynoso gets a foul call there which puts that as a really dangerous uh free kick at the top of the box but do you guys have any thoughts on the goal for sure would have gotten a free kick you can see uh Crap, who ref this game? Not Alan Chapman, thankfully. Uncle. Uh, Ted Uncle. Ted, Ted Uncle. Uncle. You're, you're Ted Drunkle. Uh, definitely a played advantage there. So he yeah. was he absolutely would have called the foul had Molina not been there. I'm going to push back, though. I don't think that was a fortunate layoff. I think that is indicative of Reynoso and Molino's almost instantaneous chemistry, that Molino sure. knew where that ball was going to end up and was there. Uh, we just We saw it happen so often. Uh, they do it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't they run really close to each other in a way that usually I would go space out but they they just seem to have this really good sense of when the other is about to lose the ball and they kind of swoop in and pick it up so uh, most other times I think you're dead on like oh man fortunate that he was there I think I think that's Kevin Molino being a really smart player I would say that it is very fortuitous off the throw-in 
I think Kevin Molino's cutting to the far side, to the left side, kind of where he's supposed to be in in the formation. And because the foul on on Reynoso happens at the right time that he's cutting across there, he's able to pick up the garbage. Either way, it's still not an easy fit. It's it wasn't a textbook finish. You know, he, yeah, he's through on net, but we saw other times where Molino himself, Kai Kamara, was through on net and didn't score. So um pretty great finish. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, taking nothing away from the finish of, of Molino there. That was great. Uh, and then, so that so that goal was completely against the run of play. Colorado had pretty much uh, had controlled the match throughout the entire first sort of twenty minutes of that game. And in the thirty first minute, Reynoso almost gets his first playoff goal. Um, he and it, Dan, do you want to talk a little bit about this one? This one was an interesting. Interesting to say the least. Let's let's leave it there. I'll let you I'll let you describe it. Uh, so as so many of Minnesota United's goals have been lately, this was about to come off a turnover. Uh, Minnesota had the odd man rush. Uh, Reynoso brought the ball up, found Lude. Sorry, found Molino. Molino over to Lude. Lude probably could have finished each every, every time that the choice was made to pass. It could have been a shot, and I wouldn't have complained about it too much. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's really easy to second guess this and say Lude should have taken the shot here. But honestly, the pass to Reynoso was the right choice because the Reynoso was wide freaking open uh, and side foots it straight into the post. Um, yeah, Yar- Yarbrough, Yarbrough had committed to Lude. I think Reynoso was just trying to pass it into the net. And if I think if he would have hit it a little harder, he, it, it would have gone in. in. But he, he yeah. just tried to like, like just tap, tap, tap it in. Um, you know, but you're, you're right. Like I kept so. We were Anna was trying to put Ragnar down, and so I was trying to I was trying to be very quiet. And Molino gets that ball, and and like I'm like shoot, I, you know, just trying to like not yell, but like you know yell, and then passes to Luna. I'm just trying to like shoot, and then fucking <laughs> um, then it gets to Reynoso, and I yeah, I just I I was able to keep quiet, and you know, unfortunately, you know, Ragnar was not having going a bit to bed last night, but that was not because of me. That was because of other things. So, anyways. <laughs> It was yeah, really I nice mean, layoff by Lude. I mean, both passes, we, all the passes leading up to that were were, were beautiful. Reynoso to, to Molino to Lude back to, back to Reynoso, and I I agree with you. Like he tried to place it with, with his insole, and you know he it's inches wide. You know he maybe aim for the back corner rather than the front corner. You know. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure those teammates are roasting him all day about it. But it's the <laughs> it's the kind of thing that. A different version of this game. We'll get to this here in a second with the second half. But if uh, if the Rapids score at the beginning of the second half and it's one one instead of two one, which it should have been, maybe this game changes a little bit. And I think it's far less, you know, less funny. I mean, when it hit the post, all I saw was flashes of Minnesota United losing two one. And like, granted, this is like I've been a Minnesota sports fan for more than thirty years, so this yeah. is hard coded into the DNA. Uh, but uh, yeah, I like I, I'm very thankful that we can talk about this in the hey, wasn't this a funny, frustrating moment? Instead of hey, this is our first podcast of the off season, and let's talk about the moment that we really, really should have put this game further out of reach. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the second half. Um, the 
Rapids make a change at halftime. Uh, Jonathan Lewis, who had a just a, a two egregious, egregious misses in the first half and did not look good, came off. Um, Nicholas ben, Nicholas Benazet came on, and less than three minutes later, he had a, a just a wide open. Well, several uh, Rapids players had just wide open shots on net. <laughs> um, Dane St. Clair made a great save. Uh, there was a there was a post involved, and then um, Bakai Debasi with a goal line clearance uh, denies a half, uh, you know, the halftime sub Ben is at, uh, from equalizing the match. That was when I was really just like pulling my hair out about that, that just worrying about like that Reynoso, that Reynoso miss in the, in the first half. So. And that clearance ends up dribbling right into a Dane St. Clair already on the pitch. Right. You can't, it's not like he's trying to like block that and, and, you know, deflect that into St. Clair's chest lying on the ground. Yeah. He is trying to block it and probably, you know, slow the ball down and be as soft as possible. So give DeBossi credit for that. Oh, for sure. The only thing that I've ever seen that looked anything like that was the hockey sprawl where you've got a shooter and guys just diving in front of him left and right. And the, the goalie knocks it onto a post and nobody's really sure where the puck is. And somehow incredibly, you just see the big catcher's paw slap over the puck to freeze it. But it was that level of like panic in the six yard box. And I cannot believe to this moment, I cannot believe that ball stayed out. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, Not as, not as crazy as the, uh, the goal line clearance in the Liverpool Leicester game earlier in the day. (laughs) We'll talk about it a little bit, but uh, awfully damn close. So uh, so in the 54th, so that was, so clearly again, first 15 minutes of the, uh, not quite first, like the first like 10 minutes of the first of the second half, um, Colorado Rapids had, had all, like, this wasn't their only chance. They had a couple other chances. And then in the 54th minute, uh, again, another uh, a turnover in the, in the midfield. Um, another amazing, amazing pass by Bebelo Reynoso to Robin Lude, who is just running at Danny Wilson and Danny Wilson, for some reason, Let's him cut in onto his left, and he just he puts a puts a gorgeous ball into the far corner of the Met. Um, again, terrible defending by Danny Wilson. Terrible goalkeeping by William Yarbrough. Yarbrough, number one, Danny Wilson needs to keep him on his right foot, right? Like, there's no let, not letting him cut in. Like the only thing about Robin Lewis, you do not let him cut in onto his left foot. William Yarbrough, all he has to do if Danny Wilson does his job, all he has to do is like basically stop that. It, from what just happened, right? The him getting onto his left foot or trying to trying to put a ball into his left foot um, into that far corner because um, Wilson should you know prevent him. Anyways, I think it was just terrible defending, terrible terrible goalkeeping. Minnesota doubles their lead uh, to two nothing. I made the comparison to the other Robin before with Robin Lude, that being Aaron Robin, who right everyone knows he's gonna pull the ball on his right foot. Get a defender to overcommit right, cut across to his left, and shoot with his left foot. Everybody knows this. They still fall for it. Yep. Uh, so 68th minute, Minnesota makes their first sub. Kai Kamara comes on for Ethan Finley. Uh, and then in the 79th minute, Minnesota gets the sort of the 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 ceiling goal. Kevin Molino. This is another talk about uh, a clinic in passing between Reynoso and Grey Goose to Molino. Um, absolutely gorgeous. An absolutely gorgeous pass by Reynoso to Grey Goose. Grey Goose just threads the needle to Molino. 
who waits. And this is actually a really great goal for Molino too, because he waits for the keeper to make a move, right? So keeper Yarrow decides to sort of like go down and Molino is able to like, sort of like not, not quite chip it over him, but like just get a, enough lift on the ball that it goes over Yarborough um, and goes into the back of the net for the hot boy brace in the 79th minute. First time a Minnesota, Minnesota United has had a player score multiple goals in back-to-back games. Hell of a good time for it. Last game of the regular season, first game of the playoffs. Right. Both at Allianz. Kamara being the un, unspoken hero, he will get no stats for cutting middle and taking out both center backs and leaving the back door wide open for Molino. Right. And we've talked about on this podcast before how Jan Gregus not taking as many dead balls with Reynoso. How does he fit in with Reynoso? Does he kind of feel like his attacking role is diminished? And when would Jan Gregus and Reynoso kind of get on the same page on the attack? We saw in that play glimpses of what that could look like in the future, um, Reynoso and, and Jan Gregus working together, and it looked really good. Right. Yeah. If if we term the first goal a little scruffy, and it certainly was, this is the goal that Minnesota United wants to score. Reynoso opening up the field, Gregus getting time and space, and Molina sliding the ball home after after and and well called out here, MJ. A really nice dummy run by Kamara. Yeah. Yeah. That is the one thing you know Minnesota can do is that they do that they do have the attacking talent. I. You know, I would say on par with pretty much any other team in this league. Um, <clears throat> when they're all there, when they're all working as best they can, you know, with Reynoso, Dan, you mentioned the gigantic Reynoso-sized hole that this team had that they filled uh, in the podcast last week. This is, you know, an awfully dangerous, awfully dangerous attack. And, you know, their defense is held together. Um, it's been duct tape and um, Gorilla Glue and all that, but it's it's held together for some for some godforsaken reason. So, um, Minnesota made two subs in this match. Uh, Ozzy Alonso came back on uh, for Marlon Hairston. And then, um, so I should also mention, Kamara came on for Finley. He went to that sort of, that striker role. And then Lude uh, slid over to the right for Ethan Finley. So, as I tweeted out last night, especially on that Lude goal, Lude on the right. Who would have thunk it, right? <laughs> you um, That's for all you haters of us Lude haters. Who are keep calling people loot haters? When we 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 always said was, we just want to see him not on the left because he's never played on the left. Like, just play him centrally or play him on the right. He might be great. We don't know. But if you just keep playing him on the left, he's gonna be he's gonna be shit. And guess what? He's been shit on the left. Anyways, it's neither here nor there. Um, said Ozzy Alonso came on for Marlon Hairston in the 80th minute, and then uh, Chikori Hayes came in for for Bebelo, uh in the 83rd minute. Bebelo was gassed for. <laughs> Getting into like the 75th minute or so, you could tell he was not. Uh, there was actually a couple of plays in, in the first half where he actually tracked back all the way to like the top of the box to to do some defending, which I thought was great because you can definitely tell because he has that that shockingly uh, bleach blonde hair. I was like, whoa, Babylon coming back on defense. He definitely was not doing that in the after like you know the 55th minute in this game. So, anyways, Hayes, Joe Corey Hayes comes on for Reynoso, which is fine. Game was already locked up. There was never really any. After that 54th goal, 54th minute goal from uh, Robin Lude, there never was really any chance that Colorado was going to come back in this match. So, anyways, you guys, so yeah, so that, that was the match, man. We won 3 nothing. We ad- advanced to play Sporting Kansas City. Um, again, December 1st or 2nd, we don't know yet. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Sporting Kansas City match because that was a 
fucking barn burner as well. So any, any other any other quick thoughts on this match? Otherwise, we get MJ. We can jump into your your thoughts here on the Colorado chances and misses. One thing I'll throw out here is the the subs were not particularly long in terms of time, but they were super good in terms of verifying player health. Seeing Ja'Cory Hayes healthy again is really good. Seeing Ozzy Alonso is really good. Maybe Ozzy's only good for 45 minutes at this point, but if you give me his best 45 and Marlon Harrison's best 45, I'm here for that. Right. We've seen Ja'Cory Hayes be really good. So, like... It, you're right. They were they were mostly garbage time subs, but the fact that those were the players healthy enough to come on the field isn't nothing. Particularly going into a game against Sporks, where who knows how the game shakes out. You may need some of those guys. Let's say the Loons grab an early goal or two, and then have to defend for seventy or eighty minutes. You may need all three of Ozzy Alonso, Jacory Hayes, and Marlon Harrison. Correct. Yeah. I really also like seeing Kai Kamara come on on the field. One, because it demonstrated that he had gained a little bit more chemistry teamwork-wise with his other uh, attacking teammates. Yeah, I got some thoughts on Kamara. I'll say for I'll say for a little bit, but um, exactly. I I, I th- honestly I think I think Adrian Heath would be crazy to not trot out that same top front four against Sporting yeah. Kansas City. Um, I think if if you have Kai Kamara and if he's if he's gelling with the team. Um, which it seems like he kind of is. He's not finishing quite yet. Um, that you know, he's he's great to bring on in like the 65th minute when you if you're down a goal or two and you need some you need something. But um, anyways, I'll save that for for uh, the Freddie Adus. Spoiler alert: um, I did not think Kai Kamara had a great game uh, outside of that <laughs> outside of that run. Uh, MJ, you want to talk about the Colorado chances and misses? Um, tell us. You talk to us about there, it. There's the Namley cross that, that Chase Gasper just barely got to in tracking back and heading out for a corner. There, there was the Michael Boxall step up that led, there was a three on two and it turned into a three on one that Dane St. Clair put down a, a goalie pad save. You know, there was, there was actually three step ups by Michael Boxall that were absolutely just tragic and atrocious in letting more and more Colorado attackers into our area with fewer and fewer defenders. There was the Debasi, well, umpteen Debasi clearances, but the, the one of the, the goal line that, that he able to was able to put into James and Claire. Is this clean sheet by Minnesota United, solid Minnesota goalkeeping and defending, crappy crap in finishing, or lucky as hell? Um, can it be all three? Yeah, <laughs> I would argue it's all three. I mean, I legitimately think it's all three. I, yeah. I if I had to dole out percentages, uh, I would say it's probably what fifty percent solid Minnesota goalkeeping and defense, forty percent crappy finishing, and ten percent lucky as hell. Maybe you could I, you could talk me down to maybe forty five percent. Solid defense, forty percent crappy finishing, and fifteen percent lucky as hell. If you wanted to, but I, I legitimately think Dane St. Clair has done a really great job managing this back line. This and let's we didn't talk about this when I talked about what the, the lineup was. That was a completely new back line from the previous yeah. game, right? Some there's some of the same people were in the back line, but it was completely different in terms of like how they lined up, right? No Romain Metnier. He didn't get back in time from international duties. He had Hassani Dotson on the right-hand side. He played there a bunch last year, but he hasn't really played 
uh, right back this year. You had Boxo back in the lineup, which is great. You know, he's but he's been out for a little bit. You had Bakai Debasi moving back into the that left center back position, and you had Chase Gasper out on the left. Um, and so I, it would be interesting to go back at some point, and you know, maybe we we can, you know, once we get to the offseason, talk about we can maybe talk about the back line of Minnesota. How many different um how many different four-man back lines did Minnesota have this year? I think <laughs> It's an actually insane amount, an insane amount. So I think number one, I think it's, it's shown that we've had, we have, we acquired really good players, right? Or players that, that we have have developed into really good players, right? The Kaidabasi, just an just an amazing pickup, right? For a mid a mid season, uh, a mid season pickup to gel like he has with the team doesn't really speak any, you know. I mean, maybe him and Romain Manier can chat really, but like. Dane Sinclair probably knows, like, you know, maybe he, know, maybe he maybe knows a little bit of French from growing up in Canada, but probably not a ton, right? And you have Chase Gasper and Michael Boxer, who I'm pretty sure don't speak any French. Um, you know, losing Icapara, uh, halfway, you know, two games into the season, uh, just the work that the back line of Minnesota has done. And then, again, having so many different goalkeepers as well, right? Like, Dane Sinclair's finally, I think he's established himself. I think he goes into next season as the true number one. And I think it's a credit to the goalkeeping and the defense that they have been as good as they have over the course of the last, you know, two months, basically the last nine games. Um, they're, they're undefeated in nine games, guys. That's, that's a, that's a hell of a run. No matter what, you know, no matter how you do it, obviously terrible finishing by Colorado, Jonathan Lewis uh, should be ashamed of himself. Um, you know, namely they, they had some bitters that they just absolutely whiffed on. And then that's, I mean, I think part of that is also being lucky as hell, right? You need a little bit of luck. Um, on either side of the pitch, whether it's, you know, again, the ball bouncing just enough where you get the is able to get in there and get a clearance uh, or ball, you know, at male, you know, Reynoso shanking one off the post. That's also lucky as hell on the other side that they didn't score a goal. Right. So I would say it's all three. And those are my, I think that's my percentages. So Dan, I'll let you, I'll let you jump in now. Yeah. So I'm going to further complicate it. Cause I think there's a fourth element here, which is we saw Minnesota United's attacking players, defend better than they have ever defended before yeah we saw Reynoso track back and and Harry players at the top of the box and he's so good with his feet they had to watch him he was slowing down the attack simply by being there we saw Jan Gregus absolutely crash the post to clear a ball maybe not quite as off the line as Debasi's was but we've never seen that from Gregus he's typically that sort of outlet player there was clearly a plan and and I hate to do this but I'm going to credit Adrian Heath Everybody knew that that was expected of them, that they knew that their job was to defend like their life depended on it. And you know what? They did. So I think that's another element. Um, I definitely agree. The other three are, are all big characteristics here. Underrated aspect of DSC's game. And so I think this raises the, the percentage of good defending and decreases the percentage of uh, Colorado not being able to finish is his positioning. Colorado had no chances that were nearly as good as Reynoso's. They had chances they should have finished. Don't get me wrong. But the the biggest mischance of the game was Reynoso's. I would honestly say the second biggest was Kamara's in the one-on-one that he should have finished. So at that point, like, okay, both teams kind of fluffed their chances. Minnesota just got a lot more of them. Um, but doubling back to DSC, he, he makes easy chances harder with his positioning. Attacking players should still score, but he's not giving them wide swaths of the net. He's making them figure out the angle between him and the post and and Colorado just consistently missed there. So I think that is an element that to me raises this to 
you know, 60% Minnesota United defending, 30% Crapids finishing, and 10% luck. You guys are both wrong. It's 30% amazing goalkeeping and and full full on other 10 member members defending, and 50% Crapids fucking up and being Crapids, and 20% luck. But I, Dan, you go back and watch that Michael Boxall step up in, in minute five and just tell me that, I mean, Dane Sinclair played that perfectly. It was a three on two. Boxall steps up to a three on one. Debasi takes out the other one and Dane is left with a two on him and he positions perfectly. And so, yeah, that's Dane positioning perfectly, but it's also two players not spreading themselves wide enough to give them two different shooting op- options for Colorado to be, to make it create an easy shot. I mean, I like I don't disagree with that, but I like okay. Once Boxy steps up, DSC does everything perfect. He yeah. does everything as well as he possibly can. And look, like all of this is happening on the fly. So if Colorado gets in those same positions three more times throughout the game, do they score? Yeah, they probably do, but they didn't. Like the Minnesota United started countering for that Gasper started staying a little bit further back. He really, we actually did not see Gasper get forward the way that we did previously, which it also underscores or uh, provides proof to the, Hey, I think at halftime inchy told everyone defend like your lives depend on it. Cause I'll kill the one of you who screws this up, uh, which, you know, respect for that. So okay. uh, like, I, I get you want to punish the Minnesota United defense for particularly boxy and, and Debasi had one or two uh, oopsies of his own, but the fact that the other players were there to cover for it, I think you have to give it at least some credit back for that. I will agree that Sean McCauley or Adrian Heath put together a really good defensive game plan and everyone did defend like the life depended on it much better, especially you, Marlon Harrison and, and Greg Oosh were in that compact kind of back six more than I've ever seen them. And that's saying something. You've convinced me to push my my 30% good defending and goaltending up to 40. But I, I will I will still give the Crapids more credit for their ineptitude um, at 50% and 10% luck. Oh, I, I think Robin Frazier would probably agree with you on that one, MJ, uh, considering well, some of the quotes it, after the game where they, he thought they, it's, hard, it's he's, I can't remember the exact quote is, but basically it was like, not often when you lose three, nothing and think you were the better team, which was a particularly a hilarious quote. Cause they were a significantly better team. This dovetails with one of my points that I, I've deleted from the, from our document, but I'm happy to bring it up now. Um, they were a significantly better team for like 25 minutes of that game. The yeah. first 15 minutes of the first half and the first 10 minutes of the second half. Other than that, Minnesota thoroughly outplayed them. And Dan, this comes to like a point that you're going to talk about here in a little in a little bit, but I'll let MJ, I'll let you finish up your, this is your question. I'll let you finish. You have the last, last word here. I'll just say this. I like your four different back line, your, your different back lines for Minnesota narrative. David, you're right. Dane Sinclair has had to manage all sorts of different iterations of the back four. And if you want to expand that to the back six, he's had to deal with even more iterations. And this accomplishment, Dan, to your point of having everyone else buy into team defense should not be overlooked. So this is all great. And we, we were the better team for, as David said. But my question had to do with, was the clean sheet 
due to these aspects. And I still say 40, 50, 10, but that's just me. That's fair. That's fair, MJ. Um, so the, so yeah, Dan, you kind of alluded to it with Adrian Heath and his game plan. It, he seemed to have a game plan that, that worked. It, you know, it was a bend, but don't break plan, which again, we, you know, not necessarily the, the best sort of uh, defensive strategy in the world. Um, but, you know, if you watch any Vikings games, there's a lot of bend, don't break that ends up breaking a lot, um, but it worked. And uh, so, yeah, why don't you, why don't you ext- talk a little bit about what your, your thought here was? Yeah, I don't know that the Vikings are the best analog here because I feel like they're not so much bend, don't break as break, but shatter, shatter in an enclosed area. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking more of those like Denny Green Vikings teams where they had, you know, just they could score 80 points and they were hoping they were, didn't give up 81 or something. So that's, I loved those teams, man. I grew up on those teams. But uh, so when Minnesota United was hitting on all cylinders early in the season, they were absolutely killing it on the counterattack. And I think this game really, the strategy, I should say, really reached its head in the Columbus game uh, for MLS's back. When Minnesota United, if I recall correctly, was hovering around 30% possession for most of the game. Uh, they absorbed just an insane amount of pressure from Columbus. They went down and scored on the counter. Yep, ended up going to penalties because Jose Aja briefly lost his mind. But in that game, we saw what Heath wanted to do in terms of setting up an incredibly stout defense and then making the most of their, their work on the counter. Over the last two games, and I would argue that these two games – Minnesota United certainly looked better, and I would say played better in both of those games. The possession has been a lot closer to 50-50. And in fact, in this one, it finished dead 50-50. I think if you want to get extremely finicky, it is 50.2% for Minnesota United and 49.8% for the Kravitz. Uh, But you break it down by half, and Minnesota United had 57% possession in the first half, and the Rapids had 55% possession in the second. Now, that's somewhat to be expected. They were playing on the back foot, particularly after the second goal. So, of course, yeah, they're going to want the ball a little bit more. Um, but I'm curious for you guys, do you feel like this team's identity is still best typified as a strong defense with a counterattack? Or is this a team that now needs the ball to win? MJ, you this, this is something you brought up in the big question. So I'll let you, let you start because let's, let's talk about it right now. Yeah, Thanks. yeah. Okay. I would say that this is kind of a hybrid, you know, you can't say, is it a possession team or a counter team? It's both. And so what you have is, Dan, as you already alluded to, stout defense, strong defense, you know, prevent whatever they're trying to throw at us, including the kitchen sink, defend that shit, and then look to counter when you can get the quick counter. If not, we're content to you know, play out the back, pass back to Dane St. Clair. We had our back six kind of cycling around and, and to play out the back and try to keep possession back there when they were only pressing with one or two uh, attackers. So what I really liked about this, this game is even in that second half, when you saw Colorado get more possession, get better chances, you saw Minnesota United at times very comfortable with the scoreboard and very comfortable to possess and not just boot the ball deep and, and hope that Schoenfeld can track it down and waste some time in the corner or Robin Lou can chase it down in the corner and just kind of dick around with it while no one cuts for me. 
we didn't see that as much. We saw some very patient, patient possession, great dribbling by Reynoso, some great movement by the two central midfielders, all in this idea of we don't need to score here. We're up two goals. Let's just keep possession. And with the exception of the, da the Dallas game previous and the Chicago game before that, you didn't see this out of Minnesota United. You, you saw a, a team that would get the lead and then panic the ball out, out of bounds or panic the ball forward, or sometimes in really atrocious panic ball to the other team and let them score. So that's a healthy and wonderful, you know, refreshing look. Yeah, I mean, I would echo a lot of that. I think, I think for the longest time, Minnesota United was, we were so bad that we were just like, let's just do, let's just try to figure out what the shittiest part of the other team is and attack that, right? So we didn't really have any, we didn't really have any sort of plan or or formation or, or style or thought, right? It was literally just like, I mean, we, you had what Adrian Heath was like trying to implement, but then the, you had the, the players who were like, Good guy. We just needed. We just need to try something, um, and you know, a lot of it was just just didn't work. I think what we've seen. I think even actually, this team has sort of evolved within the year. I think the first couple of matches, you know, before the in the before times, this team was very much more counterattacking, and we we scored a bunch of goals on the counterattack. Right? We didn't want possession of the ball. In fact, we like actively tried not to have possession of the of the ball, um, and then we would you know just outpace you know san jose or portland right um and i think as the pieces of the team that heath brought in started to get a little more bedded in i think we re i think they they realized that we could be a more of a possession-based team and then um with the introduction of reynoso when it's like oh shit we can we like, we have guys who can handle the ball right and kevin molino doesn't get hurt so it's like oh you know kevin Molino can actually do that too kevin Molino is frustrating at times when he does that because he just sometimes he'll just dribble right into somebody but he doesn't he does enough good shit where you're like okay i can deal with you giving up the ball in the last third as long as you you know four out of eight times but four you know the other four times it's gonna be really fucking awesome or something cool is gonna happen or you know we're gonna have a really great opportunity and then i think the um to you know the point about sort of that targeted press i think we actually have the players now. If we can, Kevin Molino is never going to defend. And I don't necessarily think we should ask him to defend, but if we can ask him to defend, like, you know, in that sort of Jurgen Klopp, um, uh, Gagan Preston style, um, where if he, he's going to win the ball back in a place where he can actually then turn and take a shot, he's much more likely to defend. Right. And Reynoso kind of was, I felt similarly about until, you know, until watching him in this game where he can't, he tracked back a, a bunch more than I really thought that he ever would, right? I never thought that I would ever see Babelow tracking back to the top of the 18 to like play defense, right? Um so yeah, I think this I think we've evolved, right? I think I think this is a team now that actually and we've seen it in their last, you know, again, they're they're nine unbeaten. I think they've had um the better possession numbers in most of those games over the last the last nine games. So I think this team has gone from um a I, I totally wanting to counterattack to being a team that is more comfortable in possession is, is able to counterattack when, when they need to, but really is going to want to, to put the onus on the other team to defend. 
I think you're both making excellent points. I think one thing worth adding is it's, and this is really uncommon. We almost need to decouple how this team scores goals from its identity because this team sure, yeah. is so much more comfortable with the ball. And I think this goes back to the Reynoso shaped hole. And I, and I say this as someone who loves Grey Goose, who loves Alonzo, who loves Sasani Dotson. None of those guys you want to see with the ball at their feet for a long time. You don't want to see them necessarily trying to navigate 20, 30, 40 yards. <laughs> what, previewing our, our MLS con- our MLS playoffs conversation, uh, not a lot of Dax McCarty runs coming out of those guys. Uh, Dax McCarty made a 50-yard run against uh, Miami yeah. to put that game away. Unbelievable. Okay, uh, um, yeah, there's a, there's a uh, yeah. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get Gasper, to it. Chase Gasper made a run like that in this game too, uh, which was like, was like 40 yards. I'm like, what the hell's going on? Why is Chase Gasper at the ball in his feet for 40 yards? But anyways, I digress. You start yelling, you start yelling stop ball, even though Minnesota United has the ball. No, I kept yelling, I kept yelling, Pedro, 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 come on, Pedro. (laughs) But like Minnesota United, particularly in this game and in the Dallas game, uh, most recently, they score off turnovers. It is that high press. And, and, I, I hadn't put two and two together on that, David, but it's a it's a very prescient point. Uh, like when this team does that high press, there's are there are so few defenders in MLS that want the ball at their feet in their own a defensive third, and like that's understandable. But I, we talked about this a little bit last year uh, with Ike Opara because Opara is one of those guys, and so you it, it's very difficult for a player like Kevin Molino, like Reynoso, to then take the ball off of Opara. So you let him dribble up and sort of, he sort of gets into the offense, but I look at a guy like Abubakar and who's his partner over on the other side. Um, Danny Wilson, Danny Wilson, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Danny, Danny Wilson does not want the ball at his feet. And honestly, neither does Abubakar. No. Uh, like, so they're going to, they're going to be pushed into, uh, into bad mistakes. And I think we saw that in this game. I mean, the, the second goal in particular came off of a bad turnover. The first goal came off of a turnover in their half. So I think, it's really interesting that this team, I, I think, still functionally wants to counterattack, but they want to counterattack starting at the top of the opponent's box, not the top of their box, yeah. which is, is, is totally interesting to me. And I think really does come down to, yeah, getting Molino to see early turnovers as a way he helps this team win. And, and having a player like Reynoso, when the team does get the lead, be completely comfortable with the ball at his feet and knowing, okay, if he doesn't get through this, he's at least going to draw a foul. Like the Minnesota United is not going to lose possession right here and now. So I think it's a really interesting sort of hybrid style. And here again, I mean, full credit to Adrian Heath for, for instilling that in the players. And I do think it comes down more to, to the actual execution. So having a Reynoso and having Molino bought in, but getting them to think about their roles in that way, I think is a huge step forward for this team. And, you know, nine unbeaten, no matter how they come is a pretty impressive streak. Now I've seen Arsenal crap out a nine unbeaten streak in which they looked horrible all nine games. And I think had like eight draws and a win. (laughs) So there, there are definitely better and worse versions of this, but I want to say it was early October. So as this streak was getting going, or maybe just after the SC Cincinnati game, we had a conversation about whether or not this team was good that, you know, okay. So we're four, five, six unbeaten. Is this team, are they good? It was really hard to tell. And now after, after the win against Dallas and after this win, I feel like the answer is yes, this is a good team. 
if they can beat Sporting, and, and it's less a reflection on Minnesota United than on the fact that Sporting is really good this season, don't you have to consider them a legitimately good team and a serious contender for the Cup? And, and that's amazing to me. I, but I think such is the evolution over the last two games that we've gone for, okay, like this team has figured out how not to lose, which is really important. But now it feels like we have a team that actually knows how to win, and that's really freaking cool. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Speak. Speaking of good. Oh, sorry, MJ. Do you want to, you want us to add something? Just, I can't remember if it was Adrian Healy or Alejandro Moreno that said last night on on air that Adrian Heath thinks Minnesota United is uh, at. I can't remember if it was precipice or what fancy word was used, but you know is at a point where it's really close to becoming one of the premier, you know, big four teams in MLS or something, something to that dramatic, you know, effect. And I would say, yes, they, they look like they are. Do you have a hard time distinguishing between Adrian Healy's voice and Ali Moreno's voice? <laughs> no, it's, it, it's not the voice. It's my brain. It's my, okay. it's my brain. It, it, and I would like to blame somebody who brought me a, a, a third beer that I probably shouldn't have had, but that's it's not that person's fault. <laughs> uh, no, no worries. Uh, all right. So I, I agree. I, I mean, I think they are. Uh, they should. I think they legitimately should be. They have the, you know, I, I, I agree when Heath mentions that they have, that he doesn't think there's a, a better attacking three behind a striker than, you know, Lude, Molino, and Finley that he has right now, or Lude, uh, Molino, and Reynoso whatever the, the four three of the four like any three of those four um that there's not a better attacking three behind a striker i tend to i you know i tend to agree with him i think you can make a case for minnesota united's attack attack and again the defense has been it's been duct tape it's been gorilla glue it's been you know uh, uh spackle it whatever but it, it's it's worked so uh kudos to minnesota let's talk about good and bad for minnesota this this for this match uh, Freddie Adu awards. Uh, MJ, who you got for your Freddie Adu's for the match? I'm going to focus on the back four because I love that shit. Uh, Freddie, best Freddie Adu is Debassi. He had so many clearances with his head, with his foot, with, with his chest controlling the ball. He had a lot of blocks. He had a lot of clearances. He, Dane St. Clair should buy that man one drink for the goal line or close just in front of the goal line clearance that dribbled to his chest and then another drink for all the other clearances the boxy had that i thought were absolutely clinical and essential to us keeping the clean sheet all right and your uh your shitty friend you do oh also defender this shouldn't surprise you here's the thing Fossil had two really good step-ups where he kind of took a risk, stepped in front of his mark, and cleared the ball into a less dangerous area. Sometimes that went to one of our players. Another time it went to one of their players. But he had two really good step-ups. But he had three absolutely atrocious, dangerous, against a better attacking team would have been detrimental step-ups. And he was wearing the captain's arm in. 
And I'm not saying you put the captain's armband on Defossi. Maybe they have some sort of agreement of, okay, you're going to be the aggressive, crazy center back, and I'm going to be the back stay-at-home center back. Maybe they have that sort of arrangement. But I got a lot more calm when the captain's armband went to Ozzy Alonso once he got subbed on, on the pitch. All right. Uh, Dan? Uh, I teased this earlier, but uh, my good friend to do is Jan Gregorz. Uh We've certainly seen games where Gregorz, you know, got on the stat sheet more. He scored a goal. He had better assists, whatever. I don't think we've seen a more comprehensive number eight performance from Jan since he joined the team. This to me, I mean, we saw him tracking back. We saw him harrying runners. We saw an amazing goal line clearance from him, which was awesome. And actually, I was surprised I didn't cover this on the broadcast a little bit more. Incredibly well-timed. He came in at full sprint and, like, if he misses that by a second, it's probably not just a penalty, but a red card because he goes through a player's leg in a way that's incredibly dangerous, but he gets it spot on, clears the ball. He worked well in combination with Reynoso, but he's clearly developing more of a comfort, just sitting a little bit further back and letting that four um, exist as the attack and, and, and sitting back and being sort of that, um, you know, we typically talk about pressure release valves. He was the opposite. He was the pressure valve. He was the one holding the ball in and making sure that the attack stayed in the attack. Yeah, for sure. It's my my uh, my shitty Freddie Adu, and this is not a cop-out. Uh, I, I will defend this. Is no one. Um, MJ, I hear what you're saying on Boxy. Uh, not his best game. I, I think... I, I think his mistakes were, are perhaps more prominent and uh, we forget how good he was for much of the rest of the game, but here's the stat I'm going to pull on this. So who scored uh, keeps a record of the overall contribution of every player in this game. And uh, I, I have small issues with their methods. We won't get into that. I would say that's Patreon only, but honest to God, no one wants to hear me talk about that for 30 minutes. Um, no one on Minnesota United that played any reasonable amount of time pulled a who score number lower than Eunice Nomley, Colorado's best player. <laughs> Cole Bassett also had a 6.9. Kevin Molino pulls a nine. It's the highest score I've ever seen them give. Like Minnesota United played this incredibly comprehensive game. And yep, we can definitely nitpick. There are absolutely things that need to be improved. But as we sit here a day later, there's no one that I want to single out and say, you played so badly. You need to be either shamed or maybe you shouldn't start the next game. If this 11 goes completely unchanged against Sporks, I'm a hundred percent fine with that. All right. Well, I disagree with that, but I'll say, so you mentioned <laughs> Kevin Molino. Um, I mean, hot boy scored two goals, uh, could have had a third. Um, he just, he played amazingly. Probably one of the best performances we've seen from Kevin Molino in a um in a loon shirt uh maybe ever and so he was my freddie do um good freddie do and then i yeah i mentioned kai kamara kai kamara i only give it to kai kamara because he was he wanted to score so damn hard <laughs> Colorado. he just he just tried way too hard and you can definitely tell when that when that happens with players you're just like oh they just really really want to stick it to their their former team and um, that that breakaway that he had pretty much he just that he just like shot right into William Yar- William Yarbrough has did not have a, he did not cover himself in glory in this game and if you just like give him like one more second Yarbrough's gonna go down or he's gonna make a move and, and Kike Mark and slot that ball home for a, a guy who's supposed to be you know who's whatever like number five leading goal scorer in MLS history with 130 goals like he's got to do better with that one so I give it to Kai Kamara. Um I will also say. 
don't know if you guys have listened to the, this new Freddie Do podcast that Grant Wall is doing. Um, if you're not li- so Freddie, so Grant Wall is doing a Freddie Adu podcast. It's fucking great. Uh, I've listened to the first <laughs> episode. Uh, you can get it on all your podcast forms. Grant Wall, if you want to, you know, come on our podcast and talk about it, you're more than welcome to. Don't think that's ever going to happen, but uh, check it out. <laughs> it really kind of highlights some of like you know Freddie Adu is. We joke about Freddie Adu, but it's he's a uh, it's you know it's a it's a joke and in, in, in fun. So all right, let's do quickly rapids Freddie Adu's. I want you guys to I I'm gonna throw this out there. I didn't really think anybody was super great. I think you could have given this either Danny Wilson um, for just, he just had a really bad game or Jonathan Lewis for the, the shitty Freddie you do for both of those guys. Again, John, Jonathan Lewis, an attacker uh, who just basically missed two glorious chances and get subs off, subbed off at halftime. Not great, but you guys have a, a debate that I want to hear. Uh, Namli and Abubakar. Um, let's give the floor error to Dan first. All right. So last week when we were previewing, quick, guys, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> you want to? You should have gotten somebody else. What did you say? Be quick. I said be quick. Oh, who, look at who you're talking to. <laughs> I don't do quick, uh, but I'll I'll try. I'll try for the sake of you. I'll try. Uh, so as we previewed this last week, I mentioned that Eunice Nomley was really the straws that stirred the drink for Colorado. He was going to look to pass through the lines. He wasn't the guy who was going to score himself, but he was going to be the pass that set it up. That's exactly what he did in this game. Minnesota United knew what was coming. They actually defended him pretty well, and he still had a decent chance from a shot, and several of the uh, the fluffed attacks that we've been talking about came off of nominally either key passes or assist passes. So to me, he was he was by far their best player, and the fact that he didn't do more damage and the fact that Cole Bassett didn't do more damage is a sign that Minnesota United had a good defensive plan and really executed it pretty effectively. My shitty Freddie Adu, um, honestly, I, I would have gone with Danny Wilson, but you'd already taken that. So I'm going to do his defensive partner, Lalas Abubakar. Uh, Abubakar is a defender I like a lot. And in both of them, the two games against United, it just seemed like he was consistently getting pulled between two runners and not quite guessing right. Um, it's not a huge indictment of him as a defender. I think that's more about how Minnesota United attacked the Rapids. But either way, he was clearly getting frustrated and he got his yellow card. I want to say in like the 51st, 52nd minute, something like that. And United spent the rest of the game winding him up. They were trying so hard to get him a red and he definitely could have gotten one on more than one occasion. Um, so I think he gets my shitty, uh, honestly, as sort of the, the sacrificial goat for Col- uh, not Columbus, Colorado's entire back line. But in particular, Minnesota United got in his head and they flat out made him less effective. All right, MJ. So my Freddie Dews are the complete inverse of Dan's Freddie Dews. I thought that Abubakar had a, a phenomenal game. Yes, he had the yellow card and yes, they... We're trying to get him a red. Reynoso dribbled at him at least two times. One time he nutmegged him, and Abubakar boxed Reynoso out, allowing one of his teammates, maybe it was Danny Wilson, somebody behind him to get to the ball before Reynoso could, could scramble around. Neither time that Reynoso ran at him did Abubakar let him get around him. And that was true for a lot of the things that when someone tried to take him on one-on-one instead of us trying to pass around him. You can say that that run by Kai Kamara, that Abubakar shouldn't have like drifted as far, but that's not his side. Like that dummy run by Kai Kamara that you and I both talked about, 
Bubakar is the, the right center back. The left center back should have stayed at home for, for, for Molino, not a Bubakar. So I thought both defensively and on his passing distribution, he had probably four times as many successful passes forward as he had, you know, turnovers. So I thought this is exactly what Colorado needs a Bubakar to do, just be a boss at center back. Namely, on the other hand, although he did create a lot of chances and he did do <laughs> manly things, all the fucking diving and whining and fouling our players and being just a, a whiny sort of like, oh, I didn't get the ball back. You took the ball away from me. I'm going to follow you hard. All that bullshit can go into the dumpster of the shitty Freddie Adu that is. Yeah, he and he and Diego Rubio worked the ref. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like Diego Rubio almost got my shitty free to do. But when I saw what you picked, I had to go opposite complete. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's this is guys. This is the the, the epitome of the Freddie Do Award. Is that it can be it can be won by the same person, sometimes from the same person, but oftentimes from different people. We like to see what we like to see. So speaking of the of those awards, we're going to be doing some. Uh, end of the year awards and superlatives um as soon as you know once the season's over so if you have any if you're listening to this and you have any thoughts my thought uh was the gluten-free award the thing that you missed the most um once you realize you couldn't you know can't eat gluten anymore uh but if you have any thoughts uh listeners hit us up on uh, twitter at tdikmn and we'll uh we'll figure out some we'll do a fun award show once uh, once the season is is officially officially over hopefully not for a few more weeks. So, all right, let's do quick some other United news, and then we'll take a break and then jump into the the craziness that was the MLS is back is back again pod uh, playoffs. Uh, according to Adrian Heath, Kevin Molino and the team are close to a contract extension. His uh, his contract ends at the end of this year, so I'm not sure what that means. But uh, per the the folks at MLSsoccer.com, um, they're close to a contract extension. Uh, Brent Coleman, and we're not going to spend any time on this. Brent Coleman, uh, there's a piece, Andy Greeter uh, from the Pioneer Press, who's been on this podcast before, friend of the pod, uh, did a piece on Brent Coleman, talking a little bit about his suspension last year, um, you know, all the other stuff that came with that, as well as talking about his the stances that he's made. Uh, read read the piece. I think there's, I mean, it pretty much confirms everything that we know. Uh, I'm going to write more about it at some point, so if you want to, jumped into the, the Dave's I know Substack. That is probably the best place to find that. Um, we're not going to spend a ton of time here because it, basically everything that we thought about Brent Coleman was pretty much confirmed uh, by Brent Coleman in that piece. So if you, you probably pretty much know exactly where we are on this. So uh, other Minnesota United news, Kevin Molina was up for the uh, comeback player of the year, but Bradley Wright Phillips won it. Um, MJ, do you have anything on this? Other than Heath, Jerry Zagoda, and a couple other Minnesota beat writers kind of pushing this that you know Molino was either robbed or you know after his two 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 goals here against Dallas and two goals now against Colorado like proving that that they were all wrong there just seems to be this I mean the MJ Anon take is that someone in Minnesota United is feeding this line of thought to the beat writers like there's just way too many people saying Molino should have won it you know, oh. after the fact. And that's not even that's not even MJ and non-take, Ben. It's it's fucking Jerry Zagoda. So it's definitely 
happening that that Eric whatever whatever jerky in the press office is pushing towards Jerry Zagoda. Jerry Zagoda is going to write about it because that fucker doesn't want to come to Allianz Field to to actually interview anybody or anything. So that's not an MJ not take. That's just a that's just a straight take. Well, for once, then maybe MJ on can be validated as as being right on the rumor mill. No, that's it's because it's not an MJ on take. It's just it's just the it's just the truth. <laughs> can't do you can't do it if it's the truth. So. Uh, and then MJ, you uh, this this is a big this actually was a big uh, big piece last week as well. Dropped the same day as the as the Brent Coleman piece. Uh, Jeff Reuter had a really great interview with Adrian Heath where he dropped Ramirez's name uh, in a question that Reuter uh, that Jeff Reuter had uh, regarding strikers. Um, uh, MJ, want you? I, I thought it was great. I thought it was really interesting. If you haven't, if you're not a subscriber, a subscriber to the Athletic, we've already we've already. We mentioned many times how great the athletic is, and and it's definitely worth the sixty bucks a year or whatever it costs to support local journalism. They do a lot of really they do a really good job on all Minnesota sports, but specifically Jeff here on uh, the Minnesota United beat, as well as the rest of his the rest of the MLS guys, Paul Tenorio, Sam Stasco, uh, Meg Linehan are all really good on MLS and and lower league soccer stuff. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what he said in that in that piece? He said, and I quote. It's strange, and I said this recently, Christian Ramirez left, left us and has been at two clubs since. I actually think that with this group, Christian would fit in better than probably a lot of other people that we've had because he's good in and around the box. But at that particular time, that wasn't the type for us, that type of striker, because we needed other things. As the rest of the team evolves in my head, to answer your question, I do know what my ideal striker looks like because I am now settled on what we've got behind him. So one, super awesome that Keith is, this is as close as a, to an apology of I fucked up. We should have kept Christian Ramirez that Keith is doing it. Now he reformats the narrative of Christian wasn't what we needed at the time. We needed other things. And that other things is as big as fuck. Because he doesn't specify we needed other things in a striker or we needed other things like to focus on getting deep, you know, defensive people. Or, man, Alexi Gomez was, you know, not the right person. He, I mean, uh, there are so many things that he doesn't say here and is just vague as fuck about what we needed at the time but this is as close as we're going to get and so i i appreciate that i appreciate that he gives the nod of basically saying i fucked up and this was a mistake and i and i'm kind of reading it through translating heath ease into english of saying oh you're, this this is actually pretty nice nice words coming from heath how did you guys take this take this quote it's a it's a hell of a quote. When I read the poll, I was like, "Oh wow, this is gonna ruffle some feathers." Um, look, I, I Christian Ramirez is never not gonna be a club legend. Um, I think I think that's set in stone. It's a given. Um, it sucked to lose him. I think he completely misplayed what happened after that, particularly bringing in Angelo, etc. But just from a sheer business standpoint, man, it's really hard to criticize that. We got a hell of a lot of money that we turned into Ico Para and other stuff. 
And Ramirez has not come good. He did not come good at LAFC. He's not been particularly good for Houston. Um, you can that could be things around him. It could be his style of play. It could be a lot of things. The question I keep coming back to, <clears throat> excuse me, is if we hit the off season, you know, Christian's working out in Houston. He's down there with his family. He's loving life. And he gets a call that says, Adrian Heath, does he answer it? Would If you're Christian Ramirez, would you think about coming back knowing how close this team is to being a top-class competitor, how you might be the, the piece that they need, and finally coming back to, to a, a stadium that you know will scream your name louder than any other stadium in MLS when you score, but you've got to suck it up and play for Adrian Heath again? Uh, the answer to that is 100% yes. And I, and I legitimately think that this is – that quote, I, I never thought that we'd see uh, Christian Ramirez here again with Adrian Heath um, as the manager of this team. However, that quote completely changed my mind 100%. Plus, I'm talking to a few people that I know who have some, you know, who know some stuff. Like, if I'm Christian Ramirez, I I take that piece of the article and I send it directly to my agent. I think I think Ramirez is out of contract this year. So I think he is. So, so they, I mean, obviously they would have to pay Houston because of all the, the weird fucking MLS rules and maybe a, maybe a good Patreon podcast is like trying to break down MLS uh, free agency and, and restricted free agency and all those rules. But I think, so they, Minnesota would have to give up something to Houston, I think, to get the rights to Chris Ramirez. But I 100%, he's not part of Tab Ramos's plans in Houston. He clearly was not part of uh, Bob Bradley's plans in, in, in L.A. He certainly can score goals. And I, with, I mean, imagine him... Imagine him up top with uh, Molino, Reynoso, and Lude behind him. Imagine, oh. imagine. <laughs> I am drooling. And Greg Goose being and Greg Goose being able to like to like you know hit those long balls and Ike Parra who could hit a long ball. Like just imagine Christian Ramirez playing with that. Like I just I you know I just I just came in my jeans, guys. Like right now. So I 100 percent think that Christian Ramirez would be down to come back to Minnesota. I, I, I truly believe he really, the Adrian Heath and the lack of playing time, notwithstanding, I think he truly cares about Minnesota and, and the, and the fans specifically. I, I think he knows he would get, he would be a hero's welcome, right? The guy would, the guy would never have to buy a drink in, in Minneapolis ever again, if he came back to Minnesota and, you know, let us some, some glory, you know, either open cup or in, in the uh, MLS cup next year. So I definitely think I, so this reads to me like there's a, a legitimate possibility that there, there will be conversations between Minnesota and Houston on getting age and getting Christian Ramirez back to, back to Minnesota. So, so I can confirm he is out of contract at the end of the season and guys, he's still just 29. Yeah. Like, he's no. like ah, shit. Now I got my hopes up for this, man. All right. All oh. right. So that's a good place. Cause we need, I think we all need to like go and, and refractory period. We'll take a break. <laughs> Uh, cause we, cause we got some bonker shit to talk about in, in the second half of this podcast. So let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the MLS is fucking bonkers, uh, playoffs. So we'll be right back. You want me to be that type of dude. And I want to be who you like me to, but we both know I can't do nothing at all. All right, and we're back. That was a good refractory period, gentlemen. Way to way to recover from uh, all that ejaculation with Christian Ramirez coming back to Minnesota United, theoretically. 
Uh, all right. I mean, I, I feel like that's the definition of premature ejaculation, considering it hasn't even been formally rumored. Correct. Correct. And uh, and so because we had that uh, that super awesome refractory period, um, now we get to talk about uh, the ejaculation that was the MLS is back back again playoffs. Uh, th- so this, these these playoffs, if you're obviously most of your listeners are are missing or missing United and, and MLS fans, they're always weird. They're always fucking crazy weird shit happens in the MLS playoffs. Um, it is MLS. So the uh, the first weird thing obviously was MLS clubs chartered flights to sidestep the quarantine rules so they get as many of their stars back into their teams as they possibly could. However. That didn't stop some players from picking up COVID on international duty, which leads me to believe that maybe international duty during the middle of the playoffs, like during the middle of a global pandemic, whether you're in the playoffs or not, is maybe not the best idea. But what do I know? I'm not an epidemiologist, so. Um, Wait a minute. Are you saying travel is not recommended at this time, point in time in the United States? No, travel is not recommended, which I, mean, oh, okay. I, I just traveled, but so I, I'm I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a guilt as easily as at fault. But clearly, I mean, especially airline travel is not recommended. With uh, you know, I, I traveled with my with my household to another household, and we'd all have been quarantining and and gotten tested. Uh, traveling on a, on a gigantic plane with a bunch of people, um, not highly recommended. However, again, charter flights. So it was great actually. The uh, um, seeing some of the of the things that had happened about like where like chartering flights to a certain uh, spot in, in Europe and then going from there. Um, there's a really great story about uh, Kai Kamara and then he, it was a boat. What was it? It was a boat, a train and something else. It actually was completely chartered um, to get to uh, his charter flights that flew out of Africa. Uh, unfortunately, some, uh, apparently Romain Menard wasn't able to make it onto one of the, the charter flights, which was odd, but um, we didn't talk any, at all really about uh, the end of the international breaks for Minnesota United players, but um, it was a, it was actually a really good international break for Minnesota United players. Uh, Dan, to your Grey Goose point earlier, um, you know he's playing with ton of confidence, and I can't help to think that his play with Slovakia, even though they got relegated from their um, their Nations League group, um, qualified for the Euros in 2021, and uh, but he played really well um, during internationals. And he did, Robin, and, and yeah. Robin Lude. And and I absolutely think that Lude's pre-break performance in Minnesota United was why he got called in. He plays extremely well in the two games he played, and then he carries that confidence right back into the playoffs. It, it all paid off in spades. Yeah. All right. Let's talk playoffs. So there was play-in matches uh, at the end of last week. Uh, New England um, was the – Eight seed played Montreal, the nine seed. New England won two to one. Uh, relatively well. Actually, this had, game had a this game had a near uh, or end of stoppage time game winning goal for New England. Um, so Mason Toys Montreal Impact were eliminated. However, Mason Toy was uh, added to the Concacaf Champions League roster, so he will be playing in Concacaf Champions League uh, in December. So good, for, good for Mason Toy. <laughs> That'll be fun to watch. Yeah. It's gonna, yeah, it's a tournament that's gonna take place over the course, of, I think, like ten days. Um, you know, right after the MLS is back, playoff back again, playoffs uh, are done. So, and then the other playing match, Nashville 
beat the hell out of inner Miami three to nothing. Inner Miami was without five or six of their players because of COVID um, including Gonzalo and, and his brother, Federico Higuain. They, they, they were just a shell of themselves. They snuck into the playoffs as the 10 seed national deserved winners there. Apparently uh, someone told Nashville they can score more than one goal a game. So good for them. Yeah. When the other team just chooses not to defend they that yeah. they're, they're fully capable of scoring multiple goals. Yeah. Um, honestly, this game wasn't even as close as three nil. Miami was never in this game. They were not at all. We talked about this before. Dax McCarty allowed to just gallivant up the pitch at, at his leisure, you know, looking like inner Miami, looking like they were playing MIT Salmedia, you know, sort of like guard everyone except the person with the ball. And he just went forward and scored a goal. Yeah, it was it was the only time that I liked having the football lines on a soccer field because you could see exactly how far he was traveling with the <laughs> ball and getting increasingly surprised that no one was stopping him. Yeah, correct, correct. So, um, all right, then let's jump into it. So those games were not quite insane. The New England late goal kind of bonkers, and I was like, okay, that's you know whatever that happens. Um, so let's jump into it. The first game, uh, and again, weird schedule for, for the MLS class. We haven't even played the entire first round yet as we're, as we're uh, recording our podcast right now. Um, the rest of the first round is played tomorrow. Uh, Orlando City SC hosting NYCFC. This game ended in a 1-1 draw. Orlando City winning on penalty kicks 6-5. Let's, let's, and if you haven't seen this game, go back and watch the highlights of this game. Like, stop the podcast, listen to the highlights of this game, because this game was absolutely bonkers. Um, goals in the first eight minutes, um, mere minutes apart. Uh, Nani puts in a, a penalty kick uh, for a handball off of NYCFC in, I want to say, the fifth minute. And literally, like, less than three minutes later, NYCFC scores off of a corner uh, to make it one-to-one. At that point, everybody on MLS Twitter was basically like, oh, this is going to be a, a barn burner, a goal, lots of goals, lots of goals. And then Orlando City and NYCFC, NYCFC permitted to not score any more goals for the rest of the game. Uh, Pedro Galese, um, I will say, had an amazing game, was uh, an amazing – had eight, yes. stopped at least five or six uh, really good NYCFC chances during this match. Uh, as we get closer to – I want to say it was like the 70th minute – um, uh, Ruan, well, who uh, Minnesota United fans are, are very familiar with, he was a complete fucking tool. Should have got a red card, didn't even get a card. And then, like ten minutes later, in the eighty seventh minute, he gets a, uh, a a straight red card for kicking out an NYCFC player. So, so Orlando City's playing uh, without um, without we're playing with ten men for, and they had actually they added ten minutes of stoppage time to this match. So NYCFC playing with 10 men, Orlando city uh, for about 15 minutes or so. Uh, Tesho Akindele and the, in literally one of the last kicks of the game of the, of the regulation, there's a, a cross into him, just a sitter for him. And he just absolutely shanks the ball, um, which would have won the match for Orlando city in regular time down 10 men. The extra time was pretty pedestrian. Both teams clearly, uh, we're, I mean, it was fucking two o'clock in Orlando. I'm sure it was hot as shit and humid as fuck. So they both teams were, you know, definitely did not care about that game. So anyways, we get to the shootout and the, uh, NYCFC shoots first. Their, their first player, I, I should have wrote down who it was, misses the first penalty. So Orlando's sort of, you know, they're in the driver's seat. 
they proceed to make their first, their next uh, uh, four. Uh, and on the fifth penalty kick for NYCFC, um, to win the game, uh, Pedro Galici makes the save on the penalty kick, right? Everybody loses their mind. Oscar Perea sprints off the field. But no, wait. Galese came off of his line. And so the ref has to give him a yellow card, which is his second yellow card of the game because he got a yellow card earlier in the game and gets sent off. So let's, let's start there. Do you guys have any... And I'll, I'll say the, uh, the professional, the pro. Um, so Alan Chapman was refereeing this match. So that's probably all you need to know about uh, about how this match <laughs> evolved into chaos. As it, as it, and we'll, and we'll talk about it in a second. Um, but the, the, the referee's, exp- the pro uh, ex- explanation was that MLS is still playing under the 2019-2020 IFAB rules, which if you guys remember the Women's World Cup uh, in 2019, they they got rid of this like halfway through the, the tournament because goalkeepers were getting yellow cards for stepping off the line early. Um, not even getting, giving warnings. Like literally the 1920 rule said, if you leave your line early, it's a yellow card. If you have a yellow card from the earlier in the game that it combines and becomes a red card, which is why Gaese uh, legally got sent off the 2020, 2021 rules. They've changed that so that, Number one, your yellow cards from the regular match don't carry over. Number two is a warning for the first time, and then it's a yellow card. So even if he got a warning, did it again, he would get a yellow card. He will still won't have to have left the game. Anyways, that's the pro explanation. Um, Dan, what do you got? Uh, one, I just love that uh, you know every every card has a reason and. Uh, Galese's second yellow was for delaying the restart of play, which uh, that's it's it's in and of itself is almost an admission of how stupid a card it was. There's only but there's only like three or four reasons for a card, which is also kind of jacked up too. <laughs> right, exactly. of reasons for cards. So yeah, it, it, it seems like they could use a little more granularity there. Um, I will I will correct one thing. Ruan did get a yellow for head hunting. Uh, and they got a straight red later. So he managed to get the the rare three oh. yellow. <laughs> you're right. It should have been. Yeah, that, that, I thought that one should have been a red, but it was a yellow. And yeah, yeah, you're right. You're 100% correct. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, he, he at some point, Oscar Pereja in the postgame was talking about the reason that he ran up the tunnel was to go comfort Ruan, who apparently was like crying in the locker room. And I don't say that to belittle that. I mean, it was obviously like very upsetting. You know, it's a it's a high stakes game, but you could he looked like he was trying to get sent off. Like He was playing like a man who didn't want to play anymore. So yeah. I'm very puzzled that he would then be so upset that he, in fact, was sent off. Um, look, letter of the law. This was actually called correctly, uh, which is batshit insane in and of itself. The one thing I have not heard and I. I pro actually put out really good statements on this. So Alan Chapman and crew did not clothe themselves in glory, but Howard Webb and pro pretty much have. Yeah. The thing I have not heard is whether Galassi will be eligible for their game against, uh, is it Toronto? Uh, Oh, 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 no, no, no. no, no. Sorry. It'll, it'll be the winner of Philly and new England, which means it'll be Philly. So, Well, so so to to that point, I, I think they I think I'm 
it would it would surprise the hell out of me if they do not um to you know request that to be rescinded uh because but you know i it is mls man like some of the some of the cards that we've gotten that we've not contested um that we've not appealed have been have been bonkers so it would not surprise me at all if if uh they try to appeal it and the appeal is denied but you know what do i know so there were eight yellow cards and two reds in this game. So like the, the refs were really busy. And honestly, on the the appeal thing, I don't know that there's any latitude. Like yeah. Galese was booked for time wasting and in, in regulation, and that's almost always fair. It should be called more often than it is, but that's my own little hobby horse. Yes. Um and by the letter of the law, assuming they continue playing with this, his second yellow was in fact, correctly called. So I, I don't see a way that he could be eligible for this game. And we won't get into this, but Orlando actually has the second shortest odds to win MLS Cup in the in the, of anyone in the league. They're just behind Sporting Kansas City right now. And that is insane to me, given that they will be without Ruan and probably Pedro Galese. <laughs> Yikes. So, yeah, you mentioned, uh, so, so they make the save. Uh, Orlando City thinks they've won it. Um, Oscar Pereira sprints off the field, just absolutely like a bat out of hell. Um, to as you mentioned, uh, to to console Ruan and say, "Hey, listen, we won. We're we're going through yada yada yada." Um, there's the whole kerfuffle with with Galici. Gets sent off. Orlando City tries to sub on Brian Rowe. Um, Alan Chap is there's a there's a big to do about this. So I'm so. I should set the stage. I'm watching this on, on Teu Dan uh, in Madison on my phone. And I'm just like, I'm like losing my mind. And my in-laws were just like, what is going on? I'm like, there's a thing happening on here right now. <laughs> I think I know what's going on, but I don't hundred percent know what's going on because my Spanish is, is not great anymore. And so I have, <laughs> like, I kind of have an idea of what is happening. But I also have no fucking idea what's happening. So it was it was absolutely great. It was it was awesome. Um, the the best way to do it is was to watch it on TUDN and just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Long story short, so Chapman allows him to come on um, because even though Orlando City had used all of their uh, substitutions in extra time, you get an extra substitution per the per the rules. However, as you guys are, are well aware, this wasn't extra time. This was penalties. And so it took this is and this is the disappointing part. And this is why Chapman and his crew are not refereeing any other matches in the MLS's or MLS playoff tournament is because, you know, you can't you can't sub, sub somebody sub somebody on during penalty kicks. Right. They need to be sub have been substituted on in the uh, extra time, which is what we saw. What was it? Uh, in 2014, when um, the Netherlands substituted on what's his nuts in the control. Tim Kroll, the yeah, they subbed him out in the very, very last minute of extra time to be the keeper for penalties when they ended up winning on, on penalties. So so it took a it they this really took like 15 minutes, um, almost as much time as it's taken me to explain it. Bryro isn't able to come on. Uh Rodrigo Schlegel gets the the defender, the Orlando City defender gets the gloves. Um he looks just completely out of his depth on the first one. NYCFC converts. Now, mind you, this just makes it four to four, right? With Nani, with Orlando City still having a kick, right? Orlando's Nani, who 
in the fifth minute of the game, uh, what at this point, 130 minutes ago, had scored uh, the penalty to give Orlando City the lead. Uh, he steps up. If he scores, they still win. Um, but he he takes this, he he actually takes a really good penalty, and Sean Johnson makes an amazing save. I don't think that is being talked about enough when people talk about this this crazy game. Is that Nani makes that kick? It's, it's all over, right? It doesn't matter. Um, but Sean Johnson makes an amazing save, um, and then the team's trade pens again. Uh, Schlegel looks completely out of his depth. Uh, uh, NYCFC's uh, um, I. The Icelandic guy. Now I'm blanking on his name. I don't know. It's an Icelandic dude. He steps up. He he takes he, his penalty. Schlegel somehow makes the save, stops it. He comes sprinting out. His team comes sprinting to him. Like the flares go, the smoke goes. Alan Chapman points to the spot saying Orlando City has won it, even though they haven't won it yet. They still need to convert their penalty. So the team celebrates a second time a victory of of the you know proportions, um, and I thought it was, I thought this like karma being what it was like this was going to continue to go on for forever. It did not. Uh, the Orlando City SC player steps up, takes it, and converts his penalty. They celebrate a third time. <laughs> they actually win it this time. Um, long story short, Alan Chapman is a fucking idiot and a tool. Um, who I hope if if he never referees in pro ever again. I don't think any fan base would ever would have any any qualms or concerns about that. So, um, do you guys have any other thoughts on, on the the second half of the the crazy shootout? The only thing I'll add, because you've done a great job covering it, uh, that really sealed this for me is that uh, Rodrigo wasn't the outfield player that was sort of in Pareja's head to take the gloves. Like, this is never a formal position, right? But every coach kind of knows. Like, if shit really hits the fan, this is the guy we'd probably put in there. Minnesota United, I would assume it's boxy. You know, it's it's, it's probably a defender, whatever. And apparently Schlegel just walked over to, uh, to Oscar Pareja and said, Poppy, I can do this. And Pareja was like, you know what? Fine. And gave him the gloves. And now he's a hero. <laughs> And I like, I love, he looked so out of his depth. It's not that he was like actually a preternaturally good goalkeeper and, and he knew it in his heart of hearts. He, he looked completely ridiculous, but he was so damn confident about it. that Pereja was like, you know what? Fine. Take the gloves. Let's see what you can do. And it yeah. paid off. Yeah. They, uh, they put out the, the Orlando city put out Schlegel goalkeeper shirts on Sunday and they were sold out uh, by today. <laughs> So, brilliant uh, yeah it's it's uh, brilliant fantastic, so even uh, as a decidedly not a fan of orlando city they are not even my top half of mls teams i looked at that and went can i justify it? no i can't i can't <laughs> but i thought about it for a solid second <laughs> of course of course mj do you have any thoughts on this on this bonkers game uh it reminds me of a player that i very much dislike uh john Terry being forced to put on the goalkeeper mitts for a very similar reason. I believe all, all subs were used and and he came in and, and, and shut them down. But I mean, if you look at the way he plays defense, it shouldn't surprise you that he, he could be a halfway decent goalkeeper. Um, but that that's the one sort of uh, European reference I have to, to this of having a non-goalkeeper put the mitts on and being somewhat successful at it. Right on. So- Fuck John Terry. <laughs> 
so that was so that was the start of Saturday. Uh, second game on Saturday was Columbus uh, playing the New York Red Bulls. Um, so both New York teams and and Columbus beat the Red Bulls uh, three to two. Both New York teams knocked out in the in the uh, first uh, first day of the first round. So that was that was fantastic. I mean, that game looked like it was going to be bonkers. Uh, it, it got close at the end. Um, it started out pretty well for New York. Caden uh, Clark, the the one who got away from Minnesota, got the the early gill in the 23rd minute, and then it was pretty much all Columbus there for a long time. They were up three to one by the 69th minute. Um, Visa. Uh, Santos, Nagby, and Zardes. And then Red Bulls pulled one back in the 90th minute. Um, so it looked close in considering what happened in the, uh, the the previous, like or the next like three games. Wouldn't have surprised me if they would have gotten a stoppage time winner. Um, however, Columbus goes through. So uh, they will host, um, wait, yeah. I think they'll host the, the uh, or no, they, they will play the winner of Philly, uh, New England. So um host if it's new england they'll play philly orlando city dan as you mentioned this is on both these games are happening on uh november 29th so next sunday uh new orlando city will play the the winner of toronto and nashville so um either yeah they'll go to toronto no, that, that can't be right because minnesota as the four seed is playing sporting the one so on the other side, Orlando the four would be Orlando playing. Four? Oh, I thought I thought Columbus was the four. Mm-mm, Columbus is the three. Oh, okay. So yeah, flip those reverse. Either way, those games will be happening on the 29th. And then um, as I mentioned, Toronto plays Nashville and Philadelphia plays New England tomorrow, as well as the other Seattle, um, the other first round match for the Western Conference side, Seattle and LAFC. So all right. So those were the two games that happened on Saturday. Sunday uh, kicked off in the afternoon. With a Sporting Kansas City three, San Jose three draw, and then Sporting Kansas City wins this one uh, three nothing on penalty kicks. Um, it was two two into the ninetieth minute. Yes, I was going to get to that. So Roger Espinosa scores. Early. So Dan and I were 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 in a, a Slack thread that was her Slack channel feed that was happening during this game, and um, Roger Espinosa scores in the fourth minute off of a header. Uh, classic, um, you know, sporting Kansas City, Roger Espinosa style, and then there's a lot of people like in that thread who are Loons fans who obviously we want we you know, watching this game. We wanted San Jose to win. We wanted to host San Jose in the in the second round of the playoffs, assuming we won, of course. Um, Dan lost faith, uh, <laughs> did not have any faith in San Jose, and then San Jose fucking comes back, uh, scores two goals in about 12 minutes, uh, goes up two to one going into the second half. Uh, and then literally in the second minute of the second half, uh, Ily Sanchez, again, scores off of a header from a corner kick. Um, Sporting Kansas City doing the business, uh, going up 2-2, or sorry, making it 2-2. And then, MJ, as you allude to, uh, John Luca Busio scores in the 90, uh, 91st minute, so in stoppage time, with one of the, the – this, this goal was amazing um, from, from start to finish – Clearly, San Jose just did not have any legs. Uh, Sporting Kansas City, I think, had, at this point, had made one substitution. Um, and just, it was very sloppy. But, Dan, did you want to describe this one? Well, so, I think you got to rewind it about a minute. Because San Jose had been piling on pressure and hit the post. Right, I forgot about that, yes. So, they were they were all piled into the box. They looked for all the world like they were going to score the winner. And then it doesn't go in, and Kansas City roars down the field, 
Gerso uh, takes the ball to the byline, passes to Kiri Shelton in the six, and Shelton is is traveling away from the goal, so he definitely doesn't want to possess here. Catches Ger- or catches uh sorry Busio out of the corner of his eye, backheels it straight into Busio's path, who one times it past uh, the not, the keep the Quakes keeper who is not Daniel Vega. No, which is, which is probably why they were in this game at all. Yeah. Uh, Although he looked he looked shaky as fuck too. So <laughs> he he did, but he wasn't Daniel Vega shaky. Right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean this is this is the game, right? This is in stoppage time. The teenager has won it for Kansas City, and by the way, Busio looked fantastic in this game. His set piece yeah. delivery has grown by leaps and bounds. What a great story! And uh, yeah, in, in the the ninety first minute with four minutes of stoppage time was was added um, at this point. So that's what we you know obviously everybody had seen. So and and extremely relevantly, Kansas City celebrates this goal for two minutes. Yeah, <laughs> two minutes and I think like eleven seconds or two minutes and thirty seconds something like that. That's a long celebration. And yeah, that included uh, it included a couple subs, but the game didn't restart until stoppage time was nearly over. Right. So 94 minutes on the clock passes and San Jose, to their credit, just starts absolutely piling pressure on Um, Wando, who has who missed the chance immediately preceding the Kansas City goal, desperately wants it. And with 97 minutes on the clock and sporting Kansas City fans booing lustily, uh, Quakes put the ball in and I don't. I swear we are going to find out that Chris Wondolowski has cloaking technology yeah. because th- this man is MLS's leading goal scorer. He's not a great goal scorer with his feet. The vast majority of these are headed goals and teams lose him in the box. It is not just Francisco Calvo, although it notably is also Francisco Calvo. Right. But in this case, Sporting Kansas City, just, just absolutely. Chris Wondolowski, who's that? We're not going to mark anyone in the box. There's no one on. Oh, no, we gave off the equalizer three minutes after the end of stoppage time. It was absolutely bonkers. And at that point, I mean, I just assumed that San Jose was going to step up and, uh, and you know, convert the penalties and win the game. Um, I forgot that Sporting Kansas City uh, boasts Tim Malia as their, as their goalkeeper. So um, this is the first. So there's a two first in this game. Uh, one being that that there was two stoppage time two stoppage time goals that had never happened in the MLS playoffs ever um, till this game, and then the the crazy three nothing scoreline for the penalty kicks where Tim Malia uh, saves every every penalty and comprehensively these yeah. were not oh, yeah. definitively saved every penalty. Yeah, these were not like, oh, fingertips just around the post. Like, he had full body behind this ball. And the first Quakes penalty was bad. It was a poorly taken penalty. It would have put him behind the eight ball for the rest of the. The second and third ones were legitimately solid penalties that Melia just knew exactly where they were going. And I don't know if that's his prep. I don't know if he can read body language better than any other keeper. But after this... um, the U.S. Open Cup tweeted that Melia is, throughout his career, 4-0 and in shutouts. He's never lost a U.S. Open Cup shutout. And I would be surprised if he'd lost an MLS shutout. But it gets even weirder than that. So this is only the second time in MLS history that a team has 
had three spot kicks all saved in a row that had, they've gone, they've lost three and oh in spots. The first time, and the only other time, was the Chicago Fire, who lost to the USL Charleston Battery, which is hilarious in and of itself. Yeah. But and I should I should point this out. This is per at Evan Ream on Twitter. I'm not. I, this is not original research. So praise Evan for this. Um, the goalkeeper in that game was Tim Fucking Melia. So <laughs> only twice in MLS history has a team had three consecutive spot kicks saved. And it was Tim Melia both times. And I am just in awe of this. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. It, it really was, it was bonkers. Um, yeah. MJ, did you watch this game at all? Do you have any thoughts? No, I, mean, I, I saw highlights of it uh, in the, in the pregame to the, to, to the loons match. And correct me if I'm wrong, but by a few rules, there are five, each team gets five PKs, right? Yeah. And it's just, if your goalkeeper is good enough to save three, you've mathematically eliminated. You don't need to take the other two. Right. Yep. And, and so if you, if you, the if fact you score, that if you score your three, correct. Yeah. 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 And so, which rarely happens, but the, I mean, so sporting were three for three on both sides of the, of, of the PK shootout. They were. Yeah. And that's, that's scary. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the next match was the Minnesota United-Colorado uh, match, which was a very pedestrian, apparently, according to everything else that's happened. 3 nothing victory for Minnesota. And then the late game uh, on Sunday last night, Portland played Dallas. Portland um, had literally should, I, I think, you know, legitimately had an argument for winning this game. They were the, the better side for literally almost all of the game. Um, however, it doesn't matter what uh, what you feel because what matters is actually finishing your chances and uh, scoring goals. And Portland managed to do that. They scored a goal in the, I believe it was the 80, 82nd minute. Uh, Jorge Villafana scores, which makes it one nothing Portland. Uh, SC Dallas really hadn't done much. Um, it looked like that was going to be the end of the game. And Villafana just a banger of a goal uh, from very close range and, but it's MLS. So we know that's not, we know that's not the end of the world uh, in the 93rd minute uh, of uh, stoppage. Time, so the third minute of stoppage time, Ricardo Pepe scores for us. And I, I literally, I was sitting in the, um, in the, the living room of the condo of my in-laws and I, I turned to, to brother-in-law and said, listen, like I just really want someone to score in this game and then just that to be over because I don't really want to watch extra time of Portland and FC Dallas. And literally five minutes later, uh, Villafana scores. I was like, all right, great. 82nd minute, this is going to be awesome. I was like, just as long as no one else scores, this is going to be great. And then, yeah, <laughs> the third minute of stoppage time, Ricardo Pepe scores for FC Dallas. And I just, I turned to him and I was like, I'm going to bed. I can't, I'm not watching this shit. So I was like, I'll watch it in the morning. Anyways, game ends uh, 1-1, no goals and stoppage time. And then Dan, did you watch the entirety of this game? I did, yeah. Um, Talk us through the penalties then, because it it obviously goes to penalties. Uh, FC Dallas ends up winning on penalties. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so like a couple things on this game. One, a huge praise for Pepe because he beats Steve Clark, but he hits the post. Mm-hmm. He actually gets his own rebound and puts it in. And Pepe is what? 16, 17. I think he's a teenager for sure. I can't remember if he's 16 or 17. Yeah. 
incredible composure to get your own rebound and smash it into the net instead of smashing it over the net. So praise for Pepe on that. Um, Portland in this game, look, Portland was missing Sebastian Blanco and Yaroslav Nijgoda. And it, for so much of the season, those guys have been out since uh, uh, September, both of them. People just kind of kept expecting Portland's form to drop and they never did like, and I think what was actually happening was that they were sort of wily coyoteing. So they had long gone off the cliff, but they didn't realize that they were dropping until this game. It was, this was really the first game in which Portland looked like all of the pieces were there except their scorers. Uh, Diego Valeri played super well in this game. Jeremy Obobese came on, looked pretty threatening, but he's been injured as well. So they really, they, they beat Dallas pretty comprehensively in this game for 92 and two thirds minutes. I, I will, I will throw one thing in there. Uh, I, this is a stat that I actually remember seeing on the ESPN broadcast. Um, Orlando city led the league this year in goals conceded after the 75th minute with Portland. 14. Um, Portland did Portland. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Portland uh, led the league. And obviously they made it 15 goals conceded That's... after the 75th minute this year. So. So, like, this was crazy. And I, I will throw this in there, too, because we've constantly glossed over this. For as absolutely bonkers as regulation was and penalties were this weekend, extra time was universally horrible. There were almost no, across any game's decent chances in extra time. Yeah. So I, I I might push for MLS to eliminate it entirely, because it clearly isn't all that valuable. It was so great in uh, the MLS's back tournament, just going straight to penalties, right? You knew, even if, I mean, again, Orlando City, NYCFC notwithstanding, you know you're going to be in and out of there in a little over two hours if there's even if there's penalties, right? When they right. do this other shit, it's just, yeah, stupid. The, anyway. the, the only good thing is that, uh, like, once you get to minute 118, 119, t- teams can sub on penalty shooters. Yeah. Um, or goalkeepers, you know, if, if that's a thing that you need to do. Yeah. Uh, penalties in this game could not have been more different from uh, the penalties in either the Orlando city game because it wasn't off the wall bonkers or the sporting Kansas city game because neither keeper was all that close to saving balls. They Steve Clark, who I think of as being a pretty decent penalty saver at no point looked like he was going to be close uh, consistently guessing the wrong way. And I think a lot of this to be Frank is we've talked about FC Dallas. We talked about FC Dallas a lot on this podcast, but one of the things that we've been, pretty effusive in praise for Luchi Gonzalez and the team for is they use their youth to their advantage, right? Like nobody told this team when you give up a goal in the 83rd, yeah, it's pretty much over. They played hard to the end of the whistle. They played hard in stoppage time. They didn't look that good, but they were clearly going for it. And in penalties, I think there was this legit, I I don't think anybody had a book on Ricardo Pepe, Michael Berrios, any of these guys, because they just got up two steps and slammed it home. And Steve Clark was completely on an island. Jimmy Maurer looked okay. Um, Maurer looked really good in during the run of play of this game. He was he um, he, he definitely kept them in this match, uh, which is hard. I, I say that very um, dishearteningly because I despise Jimmy Maurer from his time with the Cosmos uh, and denying Minnesota United victories. However, he's looked really good. It's it's really it's been it's been he's been kind of a revelation. Um, for, you know, finally getting his opportunity. Uh, what I think he's like 31 or 32 years old. So good on Jimmy Maurer. If he was yeah. the Cosmos, shouldn't Gio Salvarese be able to instruct his players how to score on him? I mean, he did because uh, 
Portland hit their first six. Like this went through the first set of five and no keeper. I think Maurer guessed right once or guessed right twice and made contact with the ball once. And that was as close as anything came to a safe. And it wasn't even all that close. So sixth penalty takers, they're both in seventh penalty takers. They're both in Dallas scores their eighth. And I can't remember. I think it was via Fana. Via Fana goes walks up as the eighth penalty taker from, uh, from Portland. And the only kind of analog or comparison I can give you is like a child who is walking up to the microphone to, to like give a speech or like be in a play. He did not want to be there. You could see it in his eyes. He was like, they made me go eighth. I'm not supposed to be here. We were supposed <laughs> to be done by now. I was told that I did not have to take a penalty. He walked up, and honestly, it was not the best penalty. It was nowhere near the worst, but Maurer guesses right. It's good hand height. He pushes the ball aside, and Portland becomes the only team to lose, the only favored team to lose. Every other team, every other home team won. So far. But it's well, fully, yeah. yeah, but anyways. All right, so so that was that's exciting. Um, so yeah, so second round is going to start uh, again. Two, three more matches tomorrow um, or today when you're listening to this. Second round starts on Saturday or sorry Sunday uh, the 29th. Toronto FC Nashville winner plays Columbus. The Philadelphia Union New England winner will play Orlando City. Sporting in Minnesota is already locked in again. It, that'll be either on the first or the second. I'm guessing that match will be on the first because of the Seattle Sounders LAFC match happening uh, uh, tomorrow, but who the hell knows? Uh, FC Dallas will play the winner of the Seattle Sounders LAFC match. If it's Seattle, obviously they will host uh, the next round. If it's LAFC, FC Dallas will actually host uh, the next round. So, all right. So that is the, the breakdown of the MLS playoffs. We'll have, uh, we'll have some, uh, we'll have some more discussion on that uh, next week when we know a little bit more about the matches. So, in other Minneapolis City news, uh, Dan finally sucked it up and became a member of the Minneapolis City. So all three days. So maybe you'll see all three days at a Minneapolis City match next summer. If there's a vaccine and we all feel comfortable hanging out, maybe, you know, maybe we should do a podcast from uh, from the match. We could definitely do a live podcast. That'd be a hell of a lot of fun. Would be fun. Yeah, right on. All right. So we got a couple more things and we'll get out of here. Uh, Europe. So there's a, a, a story that came out today that uh, England will, starting I believe December 2nd, will allow 4,000 fans into uh, Premier League grounds that have uh, that are in the lower part of the COVID, whatever their spectrum of, of things are. Which is really great news for a lot of teams. It's not. I think it's not just Premier League. It's it's uh, all leagues of uh, of English soccer. Um, which is really great news. Uh, a lot of those teams, especially in the lower divisions, uh, really need the gate. The gate is the thing that keeps them alive. Um, 4,000 fans is not, you know, uh, a substantial number, especially for the Premier League teams, but it's certainly not a not a terrible number. So that's great news. Um, yes, I mean, in England becoming the last team to, uh, or last, sorry, league in Europe, basically, I think, to allow fans back into, into stands. So uh, I don't know if there's any other divisions or, or countries that haven't allowed it yet so i'll be interested if this actually happens uh, obviously thanksgiving isn't a thing over there so they don't have that holiday to worry about but we are getting into the christmas season we're getting into a really dense fixture list uh, I, the best laid plans 
I think is is kind of the the mantra to keep here. So if it works, if they can make it happen safely, more power to them. I'm skeptical. Yeah, I, I will say they are. So the so England is currently in the midst of a lockdown, which ends on December second. So they've been in a lockdown, I think, for the last three weeks, um, presumably to help you know cut down on the virus being you know being spread. So who that you know who knows. I know this is a thing that the uh, English teams have been fighting for a long time to try and um, to make happen because they just literally uh, have, they're you know losing out on a ton of revenue, which you know makes a lot of sense. So, I'm not saying it's a good idea, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. This, especially with the vaccine coming, you know, this might be something we see towards the beginning of the MLS season next year, where a, a percentage of the actual fans being able to go into you know Allianz Field next year at the beginning of the year maybe not completely full until they actually, you know, have a better idea of what the COVID is like. So. I know none of us really like Tories here, but say what you want about Boris Johnson, which I can say a lot of bad things about Boris Johnson, but he's, he's not a science denier. You know, (laughs) he, he, he might not fund the, the NHS as well as we'd like him to, or, you know, support people working on the front lines in the healthcare industry, but he believes in science. So he actually listens to his medical experts. He also got it and ended up in the ICU. So he has extremely firsthand knowledge of how deadly this can be. Right. Yeah. I was thinking more, more along, along those lines. So, all right. Another very, very quick uh, European news. Uh, Liverpool beat Leicester city. Um, to make it to, so they they broke their record of uh, 63 consecutive um, uh, points gained at at uh, Anfield without a without a loss. Um, I, there's a much easier way to say that, which I totally just totally forgot in my head. Anyways, uh, they are now second in uh, in uh, English soccer history. They're still behind Chelsea, I think, which had 85 straight matches with either a win or a draw. Um, Liverpool beat their their former record, which was set like the seventy eight to eighty one. Uh, Liverpool hasn't lost or hasn't dropped points, or sorry, hasn't lost at Anfield since April of twenty seventeen to Crystal Palace. I I very very distinctly remember that game. It was a two one loss to Crystal Palace, and uh, they haven't lost since at uh, at Anfield at in in the EPL. Right. So I, sorry, I should preface that because they've lost there in the Champions League. So. Um, do you guys have any other European stuff you want to talk about? I mean, I, don't know, Dan, well, I always like to talk about uh, Jose versus Pep. Okay. Well, I don't always, but it's it, it's kind of a become a novelty at this point. I didn't realize it went all the way back to when Jose was still at Inter. I thought the first time they played was was in the La Liga when Pep was at Barcelona and Jose was for Real Madrid. But Bar- Barca played. In some European contest, Barca played Inter way, way back when. So, you know, this is number 23. In general, Pep Guardiola has Josie's number. He outscores his team. Not this time. Um, I didn't see this game. Dan, did you? And I only mentioned Dan because I feel like your anti-Tottenham stance is a lot stronger than mine, even though I don't like Tottenham either. Uh, it, my anti-Tottenham stance is the strongest of any of the three of us and probably stronger than the two of you put together. 
Uh, and I did. I, I did watch this game. Actually, one of the really interesting things about both this game and the other big sort of top four extended matchup, the Liverpool-Leicester game, is neither of these games was particularly competitive. Tottenham came out with a game plan, absolutely subjected Man City to it, and there were no Man City players, save Kevin De Bruyne, who looked like they were capable of breaking Tottenham down. Exact same thing over in Liverpool. Liverpool looked completely fantastic, and there was no one, save Harvey Barnes, that looked capable of breaking them down. So I think in both of these cases, uh, Brendan Rodgers versus Liverpool is not nearly quite the the Pep versus hmm. Jose uh, nope. thing. But uh, like, there's a storyline there. Th- there is. And in both of these cases, one guy is so deep in the other's head that, I mean, this is not even just living rent free in their head. This is having set up a farm there and having grown years of crops. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know what? The, the, I think the, the cop thing or the, the cop thing with Braj. I think a lot of people actually still appreciate because that 2013, 2014 season that, that Liverpool had with uh, uh, Sterling Suarez and uh, Sturridge was still, that was one of the, the funnest seasons I think I've ever remember of watching soccer, just because how, of how many goals they scored and, and how they scored them. And yeah, their defense was shit and they would, it would give up four. they'd score five. Right. Um, so that was one of the most fun and most gut wrenching seasons of, of soccer I've ever watched. So I think, so I think Brendan Rodgers has a uh, a special place in in Liverpool fans' heart. I don't think that they blame him for for anything that you know bad that happened at Liverpool. I think they just sort of Liverpool had sort of run out of what they could do with Brendan Rodgers. So, however, with the, the Mourinho and and Pep, uh, I, I I love that Pep and Klopp have a really good and uh, really fun back and forth too. And Pep and and Klopp actually has the better of Pep in those. Uh, in those numbers as well. So, um, I mean, everybody talks about Pep Guardiola as the greatest manager on, on the planet right now. And there's a very strong argument, argument that it's actually either Jose Mourinho or Jurgen Klopp, you know, compared based on their records against him. So. I don't know. I, I hope you didn't hear any of that. Uh... She didn't know she's upstairs sleeping. So. <laughs> Pep has a lot that... of hardware. I don't know that anyone at this point still considers Pep the best coach in the world. I think it's been a number of years since he had that, uh, that title all to himself. That's a fair point. Um, All right. Well, Hey, we, we actually, we went long. Um, We'll do Eric, uh, Eric's questions next podcast. Is that cool, MJ? That's cool. All right. Actually, he has Eric asked some really Eric Grady asked some really good questions. Actually, I want to uh, actually want to spend a little bit of time thinking about it because I have a, a thought, but I you know on both of them I just don't really necessarily want to let's 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 formulate some some actual things about it. Maybe we can we can spin this out for a bigger section. So um, all right, so that's the end of the podcast. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get and listen to your podcast. Visit DaveSignon.com, uh, Patreon dot com slash days i know if you especially if you really want to get that heat out stout uh it's gonna be available here relatively soon uh at tdakmn on twitter i'm at texas zeller dan's at d wade mj is at mj matsui and the uh illustrious bill mcguire who's still alive uh is at bill underscore mcguire again i need to get him on the podcast again soon so thanks for listening guys we've been the days you know this is the day
try and work it out Cause we both know we can't do nothing at all As you do yours, land here, become fecund. Yeah, uh, we, we do yeah. our thing, son. Through the act, we attract two, hope to reach one. Uh, we, yeah. we, we do our thing, do it. We do our thing, son. Some will paint a piece, some will spray with a machine gun. It's mad work to be done. We, we, we do our thing, son. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all. Y'all know we can't do nothing at all.